Hello everyone and welcome to the Wageningen Alternative Protein Podcast. I am Josh, a Master of a Student in Food Technology and I will be your host for today. Our guest is Wendy from ADM, who's here to talk a bit about how it is to work in a company that deals with alternative proteins and how the transition works from a more traditional kind of field. Hi Wendy, would you like to just tell, tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, thank you so much Joshman for having me. It's such a pleasure to be able to talk about uh, what's happening in the world now because it's such a disruptive time, especially in this tr uh, protein transition. So my name is Wendy Van Buren. I'm the yes. Vice President of Alternative Protein Growth as it is uh, in ADM and I'm looking, at, uh, I'm looking after the global potential. And I work a lot with uh, customers and partners and startups and really looking at the total ecosystem and how we can partner better and how we can innovate uh, for the next generation. That's, that sounds like an incredible job. And so how did you get into the field of alternative proteins? Because uh, you haven't always worked in this field in your career, right? No, that's correct. So I've been in the food industry, and I would say the food agribusiness um, uh, industry for 30-plus years now. Uh, when I first started, I was working for in the U.S. Uh, for the U.S. Uh, DA for wheat agronomics. So we're already starting to look at wheat um, as a source from, a, let's say, uh, a variety standpoint. And then I've uh, progressed my career, I would say, from seed, from that beginning, all the way to fork when I was working for a retail company uh, for private labels specifically. So having that kind of whole value chain perspective has really uh, changed my whole viewpoint of what's important and how we can solve problems together. I would say my beginning in protein really happened probably mid-career. Uh, I was working for Cargill at the time and looking at uh, different types of proteins and efficacy in finished products. And it's progressed uh, with um, other opportunities I've had with Novozymes, which is an enzyme company, and looking at even at how enzymes can uh, functionalize proteins and make it even more value-added in things like plant-based meat and alternative dairy products. And uh, you mentioned that then you work kind of like all over the value chain of food. What was the part that made you think the most that um, alternative proteins was something worth pursuing uh, and something that you wanted to be a part of? Well, I've always been interested in understanding that what's from an environmental standpoint, I have a huge passion for sustainability. And that's been something that we're trying to figure out. How do we actually make sustainability work in this industry? Because it's something that we see now a shift. Actually, the consumers are pulling now for sustainable and more environmentally friendly options, um, which is fitting very well my, my passion and trying to bring this to life now. And how, how can we do this in a, let's say, affordable way also? So this takes really creative and innovative um, uh, thinking really around this. So I'd say beginning, probably again mid-career, where we started looking at uh, how we can improve the value chain of protein and how it's going to work in finished products and make it more affordable. And I think when I was in the role of, let's say, leading the plant-based division for Novozymes, and really having this as something that we're going to move forward is really coming to life then with this protein transition. So... Okay. And you're mentioning that now with consumers, there is a lot more pull towards having this more uh, sustainability focused thing, which, yeah, I think I also kind of uh, count as a consumer in that sense, because as a student here in Wachingen, you are always bombarded, let's say, with sustainability related things, and it does become something that you bring to your heart at all times. 
but speaking in general with all consumers, how does um, ADM in particular see its position in sustainability? So how is it trying to make its products more sustainable? And there's so many ways that we're looking at and actually um, uh, doing with, again, with uh, CPG companies uh, like PepsiCo, for instance, we res- recently secured a number, you know, a, a number of acres for regenerative agriculture. So, again, it starts all the way from the seed and how can we actually use that uh, that property and then utilize the uh, regenerative agriculture practices then to bring it again down the value chain in a way that uh, we could also maybe have minimally processed products that use less energy, less water, still be functional. So we're looking at how we can use uh, all of these systems uh, along the value chain together to really bring that innovation uh, to consumers. It's great to hear that it's also something that companies actually take seriously because it's, it is very important to kind of improve the way our food system evolves. And while maintaining this focus on consumers right now, um, as kind of like a dual questions, how do you feel consumers uh, perceive sustainability? Like what do they look for to be uh, sure that something is sustainable and that they can be happy with the purchase? And... Um, how does it result in different products? So is there a change in the trend of what consumers eat, most of all? Yeah, I think that's something that's still evolving because when we talk about, let's say, uh, CO2 emissions and being able to measure, uh, let's say, the the impact on environment, we have scope one, scope two, and scope three types of uh, ways of measuring it. When it comes to scope one and two, this is really in our, let's say, uh, uh, visibility. So we can measure our own CO2 uh, impact. And also from our suppliers, we try to understand exactly what is the CO2 impact. The next thing is how does that translate to finished products where it can then be visible to a consumer so you can make better choices. And this is going to take um, really connection to all the data in a way that then can be put on packages so people can see and understand kind of what that uh, what that environmental impact is and make choices based on that. But it's still going to require a lot of, uh, let's say, pulling together of data and, and the capability of, of having that visibility. So do you have, for example, um, a way to tell us how the evolution of the consumer wishes are? So we know that mostly now with products, it's very different. Like if you're vegan or looking for vegan alternatives to traditional animal pro- products, you have a huge variety they can choose from. And uh, ADM usually also produces a lot of the source material that is needed for that, right? Correct. Um, so how would you compare how, on how it was 10 years ago, for example, when vegan products were not as reliable or present as they are now? And how did consumers react to the lack of presence and what made you... Uh, increase the market share for that? Well, I'd say the history, ADM's history in plant proteins and even looking at vegan or, and in a lot of cases, it wasn't even necessarily vegan, but it was looking at how to increase the plant protein into people's diets uh, happened back as far as back as 1965. Oh, that's way back. And so almost a little before its time in some cases because we're at that point creating textured proteins to be used in alternative meat products. 
And uh, and back in 1965, there are very different consumer drivers than, than there are today. So we see then a complete shift in this protein transition where consumers are really demanding more, um, more from these products. So what we see from a consumer poll perspective is better taste and texture is always going to be number one. Of course. And then we see, uh, let's say, Affordability, especially now, I think we see a softening in some of this uh, at the moment, softening of the plant-based meat market only because of supply chain. COVID had a big impact on supply chain disruptions. We also see that meat prices are, are going down. Mm -hmm. And then we have the dynamic also of, of uh, looking at inflation. So we have a lot of different things, but we still see that this is a, a place for innovation and we're going to see, see this protein transition continuing and, uh, and growing you know, with innovations that are coming. So we need to make it more affordable. We also want to make sure it's cleaner label and highly nutritious. And this is another thing that uh, we're looking at all of these different uh, areas to improve it over time. Yeah, of course. Consumers also always want pretty much everything, so there is always something to improve in yeah. uh, existing products. So I think this also ties down into something that a lot of our listeners would be interested in, which is the career aspect of actually working in the, in the alternative protein. So my first question, qu first question for you on this topic would be, what would be your advice to someone who is pursuing a career in the protein field and that gets to, needs to get their, foot, their first foot into uh, working in here? Well, I think, of course, I think in this uh, in this era, it's always good to be doing networking, and also, I would say, internships or some way that you can actually get to know the different companies' culture, mm -hmm. really understand what different roles are available. One of the things I um, advise some of the uh, people that I've uh, had a opportunity to work with, and they're looking for kind of a change in their career, is to see kind of what's out there. What are the online job descriptions and what are the uh, let's just say what are the roles and responsibilities of that role and does it excite you or not mm -hmm. because when it comes to protein and and protein it's requiring all kinds of skill sets yeah it's everything from research and uh, and marketing to how do we make this a commercial like what is the value proposition what are we going to bring to the consumers how do we choose from a strategic standpoint what is going to be meaningful 10 years from now so you have to really think about how do you want to be part of this protein transition what are your strengths that's a uh, great advice i think and it's also really puts into perspective for us students that there is so much that we need to do and uh, especially with how many now are going to be looking for internships. It's definitely something to look forward to. And uh, on the same vein, um, can you share with us what you would have done differently in your career earlier to kind of make it better for alternative protein or if you would have gone into it sooner? Yeah, I think one of the things, especially when I was just beginning my career, I hadn't thought enough about what really drives my passion and what is meaningful to me and really stay with that because I was looking at uh, what's available from a, from a role or from a job perspective without giving it um, enough weight to say, is this really going to be something that is moving the industry in the right direction? So I think the further I got in my career, the more choiceful I was in the roles that I chose that are going to be driving 
having more impact. And I think it's really about knowing yourself and knowing what is it that you want to be doing and really already having that thought process of being choiceful because there's so much opportunity out there that you can be part of this in whatever way you choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's definitely also very important to be passionate about what you do. And so about being passionate, what makes you uh, like your current job at EDM? So what makes it remarkable among all the other companies that are present in the alt protein field? I think one of the things that uh, there's, there's a number of different things about ADM, the fact that they are having such a history and such a strength in plant proteins already as a great base. And then through a number of different acquisitions, we've also increased our capabilities to be part of having a, a whole solution. So it's not just about the protein, it's about how we what we can do with it. So some of the challenges of improving taste and texture, for instance, we have a flavor business now that we acquire. Wild Flavors was acquired back in 2015 and looking at how can we integrate it more as a solutions play. So, and then using processes like extrusion technology and really understanding then we have such, you know, a number of capabilities in producing proteins, extruding proteins, combining it with a, the full pantry, what we call our pantry of products uh, in ADM is fast. So I think for us, it's really understanding, again, what is it we're trying to do? What problem are we trying to solve? And we have a lot in our portfolio today that we can choose from to solve it. And we are very open to innovating and partnering with other people that we then together can solve the problem. So I think it's, it's the idea of it's a culture, it's the strength of the portfolio, it's the innovative and growth mindset. So I think it's kind of all of these things that you, you know, that you want to be excited for being part of that, uh, that journey. It does make EDM sound like a very nice uh, company and something that is also really important for the growth and maintenance of the L-protein field. And I actually think we are doing this kind of backwards right now, but can I ask you now a brief introduction on the history of ADM? Because we haven't talked about it yet. Yeah, so 1902, it was a linseed crush facility. So I don't know if you know what linseed is, but it's I another oil, uh, an oil seed. And, uh, and it was uh, founded in the U.S., actually in my home city, Minneapolis, Minnesota. So that's, uh, I didn't, of course... Uh, you know, really know the whole history until I started working for ADM. And it wasn't until, you know, later that they got into soy protein, uh, where again, it's an oil seed. So you, it makes, it's a logical kind of transition into oil seeds. And it wasn't until later that uh, we're looking at soy meal, which is really rich in protein and what can you do with it. And then, like I mentioned in, in the 1960s is when a lot of the research came in uh, isolating proteins and really understanding uh, from an extrusion process. So again, ahead of its time in, in the sense of using extrusion technology to change the texture and function of proteins as well. Um, and soy based. And then and more recently, in the more recent history, there's a lot of acquisitions and biosolutions and, and looking at what we do, uh, you know, across the different texturant space. Again, looking at flavors, uh, looking at things like fiber and other nutrient-dense kind of uh, ingredients that we have uh, in the portfolio. So it's a very broad portfolio. Uh, we also have... Um, 
invested a lot in the future of the protein transition. So looking at some of the investments that we've made recently in Nature's Find, which again is fermentation, looking at what's next beyond plant protein, looking at uh, things like air protein, which is even, you know, really innovative technology, again, another fermentation process, where we're looking also at how we can be part of the scale-up of these new technologies and be part of the solution to help uh, make them more affordable. I am definitely very captivated by what you just said about air protein. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about it? So it's basically taking, uh, let's say, different inputs that we have from our own manufacturing uh, facilities and being able to use that in a fermentation process uh, with air and creating a, a structure for alternative meat. So there's a, a lot more to, uh, to that, and it's a little bit further out technology. It's going to take a little bit more innovation, but it's, it really has, you know, I think fermentation uh, technology in general, thinking about how we can have a more sustainable production of protein and food in general, I think is something that, uh, that we're also very interested in understanding further. Okay, it does sound incredibly interesting. Maybe I'm also biased because I specialize in fermentation during my studies, but I definitely agree with you that fermentation is going to be very important, especially since it allows us to use, for example, waste or side streams from the production of other um, products. And on this vein of thought, um, what are the current limits in the production of alt proteins or what are the main uh, hurdles and challenges that you find in industry? Well, it, it depends on where we're starting from. So if we think about plant proteins, for instance, one of, the, um, one of our, our goals is diversifying plant, our protein portfolio. We are starting very strong in soy protein. We have pea protein. We have wheat protein. We have other, let's say, um, uh, let's say chickpea flour and other, you know, fava bean. And I think the more that we can diversify, the more that uh, it's, again, more environmentally conscientious, more environmentally friendly. And also offers lots of different opportunities for nutritional profiles, different nutritional profiles, uh, looking at um, different textures and, again, different flavors. And I think that's important, and we're going to continue to work on that and and innovate in that space. Um, As far as some of the newer technologies, like fermentation, like cell-based, which are also, you know, it's up and coming, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of research in this, and we also have been uh, investing in uh, future meat technologies, for instance, and looking at some of that uh, technology. It's about scaling, and there it depends on the technology what some of the challenges are, um, but usually it's trying to figure out how uh, you can use less energy, for instance, and cell base is a very energy-intense process. It also is requiring growth factors that are also Mm -hmm. very expensive. So trying to find different ways to um, allow that um, scalability. Okay, and I think that's also kind of the case with a lot of new technologies, just being able to transition from a lab scale or pilot scale into something bigger and actually, yeah, ready for production. And uh, I think you also have, like, your initial background was also in uh, nutrition uh, related, right? So, what are your thoughts on the health aspects of uh, products like meat alternatives? Yeah, so if you think about what, uh, what we're comparing to meat, you know, it's always, right now at least, uh, our benchmark is meat. Mm-hmm. And you think about meat's uh, nutritional quality. So, it's very rich in protein, of course, it can also be high in fat. 
it has some other attributes that uh, you know that are, that could be good or seen as negative. So my perspective is that we need to make sure that we are still delivering enough protein uh, to be healthy and have the right type of proteins, but we also have to make sure that we're trying to be better than in some ways. So is there a way that we can have better fat profiles, less saturated fat, for instance, which we can? Uh, we have to make sure that we're watching the nutritional, like let's say sodium content also. So these are some of the um, the things that we're watching from a nutrition standpoint. But I know another driver from a consumer standpoint isn't necessarily linked uh, very hard to nutrition, but it's clean label. Mm-hmm. So when you think about uh, a plant-based burger today, it is 18, 20 ingredients long on the ingredient deck, and there are ingredients in there that uh, consumers don't necessarily know or recognize. They're in there uh, for good reasons right now, and what we're trying to do is figure out ways that we can uh, shorten that ingredient deck, make it more authentic, make it closer to meat-like textures. So these are some of the things that we're working on right now. And do you think also the fiber of the raw ingredients will tie down into this? Because as far as I know right now, there isn't that much fiber in the meat alternatives. That's correct. Yeah, there isn't a lot of fiber in meat alternatives. Um, but there isn't a lot of fiber in meat either. True. So you think maybe that's a differentiator, right? So maybe we can think about how we can make it even better then. And I think that's what's going to help consumers adopt it because then it's not a direct um, choice. It's not a direct comparison. So I think when we think about the next generation, let's say um, wave two, Mm-hmm. There are opportunities to change the way that it's the, the, the format, the shape, the look, the feel, the nutritional aspects. Uh, all of this, I think, is uh, we need to do a lot of innovation and say, what is going to be the next food, basically? That's really highlighting the, and the, the, you know, the plant-based and all these alternative protein as heroes in this. Mm-hmm. That is definitely a perspective that really grows also when you uh, look into the alternative protein field for a bit. It's not just about replacing current animal products, but at least from my, my, pers- my perspective, it also gives so much opportunity to creating new products that we can't even fathom right now. Exactly. There is just so much creative potential with it. Exactly. And this is where, you know, you think about the next generation, so much innovation waiting to happen. I can't wait to see it. And I would like to ask you a couple more things, actually. Um, Is there any cool and disruptive technology that is actually being developed right now and that you think will be uh, the next big thing in the production of alternative proteins? Yes, um, there are a number of things that we're working on. Some of them I can't talk about quite yet, uh, of course, but I think some of uh, some of the closer-in ones that I can talk about are really linking again back to, to the seed. Mm-hmm. And what are what are we thinking about? What do we propagate? And then what are those characteristics that that can be pulled through in how we process these proteins? Uh, how can we use minimal processing techniques, for instance, and then create uh, consumer desired products from that? Again, it goes back to environment. It goes back to more uh, affordable products and all of these uh, characteristics that are going all the way back to the seed. And then there are other things that we're working on um, that uh, that I 
you know, maybe we can come back and tell you a little bit more when we're closer in. It's always a bit frustrating to hear these kind of things, but yeah, they also kind of keep you very interested in what's going to happen because there is certainly so much behind the curtains that you can't see, but hopefully we will be able to benefit from. And um, do you have any current prediction on how the market is going to look in the next, let's say, one, five or ten years regarding this field? Uh, I think, uh, of course, it's easier to see one year from now, uh, and we'll start to we'll start to see again, like some of the things I mentioned, the closer in uh, technology is really using some of this minimal processing, more plant based innovation, looking at improving flavor and texture. This is going to be kind of the one to three year, um, at least from a plant based perspective. At the same time, we're going to see. You know the uh, you know these alternative protein let's say uh, disruptors also coming on, and I think this is going to be the interesting uh, dynamic as we see how let's say fermentation or cell based versus plant. My prediction is that plant will still be and and will continue into the future. It's just how do we um, how do we optimize or or where is the right fit for these al- other alternative technologies? Thank you for your insight. I think that's going to be it from today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us and for all of your uh, great, let's say, inside information on ADM and how to get a foot into this incredible field. Uh, thank you for being here. Thanks, Joshman. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to us, and we will see each other in the next episode of the Wachingen Alternative Protein Podcast.